We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcast. What's up, gamers? I'm DDK. I'm joined by Pocket as per the usual. But today we got special guests Caboose and Mummy. Mummy, say hello. Hello, guys. How's everyone doing today? I'm good. I'm good. We're all good. We're hype. Caboose, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. Can't complain. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, it's it's definitely our pleasure. I think there's there's a lot to to learn about you guys for the community. I think you're both super interesting dudes, and I can't wait to get to know you a little bit more. Um, Pocket, do you have any burning questions to kick things off in terms of the introduction? I don't know which way to go with this. I just found out that Mummy had experience on the trading floor, so I want to know more about that. And yep. Quake, Caboose is a bit more of an unknown quantity for me, so where, where, where should we attack first? I want to start here with Kylo Ren. Like, how do you go <laughs> from stock trader to dominant in Valorant? Walk me through kind of your career path. You're just 25, but it seems like you've already done a lot. 26, man. 26. Come on. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I always had a knack for computers, like, early on, even before gaming. Like, I always gamed my whole life, um, but opportunity presented itself, and, you know, I, I decided to, like, work for help desk in IT, uh, kind of supported traders, did that whole thing, uh, towards the end of my CS career, and, um, 
you know, ever since then, I've always had a love for gaming and I just, I stuck to it while I was working and helping traders and, and supporting people. Uh, and then, you know, COVID came, I lost my job and then I just, I latched on to Valorant. That's kind of like the first positive story I've heard of someone losing their job from COVID. Yeah. You, you actually <laughs> found time for gaming. Dude, it's, so, you, it, it's you bittersweet. It it's bittersweet. I look so pissed off in my frozen screenshot. Don't worry, guys. I'm aware of it. <laughs> trying to fix it. I smile most of the time. I promise you. That's your headshot. <laughs> it's a headshot for your, head your next movie. That's a I just failed to clutch headshot. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking about like how COVID affected you, mummy, and kind of mm -hmm. impacted your journey to, to Valorant and being on Envy. Um, Caboose, how did you like what was what happened for you? Like, how did you find your way to Valorant to Envy? What's your origin story, so to say? Yeah, so I was originally, when the game came out, I, like, hated it. Uh, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and the only thing that kept me in was one of my friends, Whitmer, uh, hit me up and said there was, like, an org, like, a pretty big org that was trying to assemble a squad. Uh, and then he wanted to pick me up for that squad. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll play a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll see where this game takes me. And eventually, it, that story never really came out because not many people knew about it. But I was actually signed to the T1 Academy team at the very start of the game. Oh, really? Yeah. So <laughs> I was doing a lot of scrims versus the T1 main team, and I was performing really well. And I kind of just wanted, uh, I wanted more. You know, I wanted to like win events and stuff like that. I wanted to be on the main roster for teams. So uh, eventually, FNS and all them, the, the core of that team, Dapper got bought up by Sentinels. So they needed a fifth player, and they worked things out with T1 Academy, who actually let me go with no buyout or anything like that. So super grateful for those guys. And then, yeah, we I joined that team. We had the core, and then we signed to Envy shortly after. Bought out is a strong word. Together, <laughs> we are terrific, because bought out. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we gave Sentinels a buyout price for Dapper. <laughs> nice work, nice work there. Everyone's cashing in big bucks. Oh, okay. uh, what was it like, <laughs> though, in the early days? Were you guys worried that you weren't going to find a team? Because I felt like you were one of the consistent names going deep in these qualifiers and all of these online events that we were having, but we're the one squad without a logo next to your name. Um, uh, I don't think we were that. really worried. Uh, I think we, we understood that if we deserved it, if we kept having these results, it would happen. There's no way... Uh, you know, the team would just not notice us if we're getting results. So uh, we just kind of let our results speak for us. We knew if we grinded, it would come for us eventually. Yeah, how did you kind of get hooked up with FNS to begin with? Like, how, how did that kind of relationship get going? First, um, like in the beginning of the game, the first people that I was in contact with were uh, like Aikis um, and like that group of people. Cutler was in there, hazed. Uh, drone, and we were like running 10 mans, uh, pretty much trying to like figure out who's wants to start a team. And and uh, FNS was kind of probing, uh, as far as I knew from Acus. And I was like, you know what, I'm confident in this game, I'm destroying 10 mans, we're destroying 10 mans together, like we're this dynamic duo. Uh, let's see who we can get, and uh we kind of bridged this gap with FNS and FNS was a package deal with Abdo or Calypso. And, um, uh, we made this team. Oh, us four. And then I was like, who can we get? Um, uh, and Jake was on T1 Academy at the time. And I hit up Dapper cause I have, uh, 
past experience with him at like a LAN at Fragadelphia's. Um, and nothing really like team-based online, just like a couple LANs. And we just formed this team. We played in like those, those NSG tournaments on the weekends and we meshed well. And then of course, Sentinels bought him out <laughs> from Together We Are Terrific. Uh, and then uh, I messaged Caboose very aggressively trying to get him on the team. And then from there, we, we formed. Caboose, how did he lure you in? Yeah, what were yeah. these sweet nothings he was promising you? Oh, there, there was a lot of Twitter DMs like, all right, let's make this happen next day. <laughs> Yo, what, what's an update on the situation next day? So I'm, I'm very glad everything uh, fell the way it did. Good work, Ant. Thank you, thank you, Jake. Persistence. Can you tell us what <laughs> on the market for you, Caboose? Like, was, was this a position where you had to choose between a lot of teams at the moment? How did you choose to go with Envy? Uh, so no, actually around that time, that was really my only offer. Um, I was locked to T1 Academy and most teams knew that because I'd scrimmage them. Um, but FNS and all them were trying to see, uh, is there any way you can get out of that contract? And I was telling them like, yeah, I'd, I would try to get out of it for sure. Um, but yeah, there wasn't really any competition uh, in getting me, to be honest, early on. You got lucky, mommy. Nice work. You DM'd them at the perfect time, guys. And that just goes out there to tell you, take the risk. Hit them up in the DMs. You don't know what slide in, slide in, <laughs> slide on in. So I have, I have a before we go too too much deeper actually into things now on the team. Um, in terms of I, I want some additional background info because for me, uh, so as we were talking before we went live, and, and Mummy was telling me sure, I, sure. I, I play some Quake Quake Three, and I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. And and mm -hmm. you know we're already connecting. He's got like this Diablo two lot of lot of destruction avatar situation going on. So so <laughs> so I was thinking, yeah. hang on, is this how old school is this guy? And he's and then he drops. That he he was he played Quake Three in the in the era of this team called Clan Capital, which was perhaps like the biggest, most notable team from like 2000, 2001. So, um, so it seems like that's your route. So, what's what's the deal there, Amami, in terms of like? Because I presume that this is really where you started to hone your FPS skills. So, what what was the journey like with that? I first I first played Half Life. Like, so so let's let, we'll take it back towards Half Life. So Half Life was what released in '96 or '98. I can't remember exactly. '98. '98, right? So I played Half Life Adrenaline Gamer, uh, which is a mod for Half Life. It's much more faster paced. So uh, my brother, actually, he's seven years older than me. He was the one who introduced me in these games. Like I always was watching him because I'm super young and I'm intrigued. Like what's happening. And he was the best in the world at one point in Half-Life Adrenaline Gamer when Half-Life Adrenaline Gamer was at its peak. Uh, a lot of people don't know about this game. So if you feel free to look it up. Chat um, says, God damn, how old is Mummy? <laughs> I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm a mummy, man. I'm, I'm from the crypt. That's it. I'm old. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I came from this game and then I graduated towards Quake and I, I still played both. Um, but... I've, I've played everything, like every game that was condition zero, like I've played World of Warcraft, uh, Darkfall, everything that was competitive when it was at its peak, you know, I've played and I've, I've delved into and I've, I've competed at some level in it. So I'm, I'm always competitive in, in that sense in those games. I, I played TF2 uh, for the guys in chat. Yes, I played TF2 uh, professionally when I was 12 for the first time. I was, that was my first professional, um, like like first professional game that i was able to say like i'm a professional in um starcraft as well i'm an overwatch league pro that's so surprising i felt like I, all the tf2 players went to overwatch they did but for me overwatch felt very spammy 
It felt it felt like I'm a fan of games where you can carry. I, I like to be able to say like I'm the person that can carry. And that's just my roots. You know, from Quake, yep. if you play Quake and you're in a dual game, you're 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 trying to control the map. You're trying to um kind of like chip away at this this one person that's dominant. You know, you're trying to to really dominate. And like that's my mindset. You know, I want to dominate. Uh, that's why I op, you know, I want to dominate people. And uh, even in Half-Life, you know, it's very fast-paced, very aim-heavy. You know, I, I, when I was playing Half-Life, I was really young, um, and I didn't like to play too much into strategy. I was more aim-heavy. I was more like, let me get in your face and brawl and, like, hit really nice shots and, and just, you know, win the round based off that. And as I, as I grew up and I played more Counter-Strike, I learned more about strategy, and I learned more about taking my time and, and using aim towards my advantage because I had that strong point but also applying the, the strategical aspect towards it and that's where I kind of fell in love with Counter-Strike and it was around CSGO is when I really strived uh, to dominate um, Half-Life is the mod that Counter-Strike 1.6 was created off of so that's why I kind of uh, I played 1.6 and all that stuff but I never really competed in it my brother played like Calmain um, for Fear Factor with Steno. I don't know if you guys know who Steno is. Of course, you probably know Steno is uh, DDK uh, and Term. But um, my roots are just from aggressive, aim-heavy games. And, and playing Quake at a young age and playing Half-Life at this young age kind of taught me that I need to dominate. And if I'm not dominating, I'm not doing it correctly. So that's my role of what I'm trying to do as my, my player in Valorant. Nice. That's a, that's a long history. That's pretty sick. Did you ever delve into any RTS or fighting games, any other genres? In, uh, I played. I didn't play much fighting games. I played RTS. I played a lot of StarCraft uh, 1, uh, you know, Brood War, of course. Uh, I really got more competitive in StarCraft 2. I was Diamond in StarCraft 2 when Diamond was the highest. I played nice. Zerg. Um, I played Warcraft 3. I have, like, uh, a lot of ladder wins on Warcraft 3. I played it recently also, the Reforged. Um, I like everything, anything. I was a gladiator in World of Warcraft. I, I hit twenty seven hundred and threes in in season ten or season nine, I think it was. Um, a, any game uh, that that was around, that was competitive, that was at its peak. You know, I've I've played, I've I've understood the meta, and I've just destroyed. Like that's my goal. I want to beat the game, and to beat the game in these multiplayer games that are competitive, uh, you have to be the best. So, yep. I. <laughs> I, I use my competitive roots from Half-Life and um, and Quake to strive in other games. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be the most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 
73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. It's their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season-opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Caboose, I want to hear your background as well. But first, Mummy, we we can't move forward without putting this out there because since the beta, people have been saying your name wrong. Us casters don't know how we're (laughs) supposed to pronounce it. So this is for all the podcasters, the casters out there, just the broadcasting folks who are going to be talking about Valorant. You owned yourself with your name. Can you tell us how you evolved from Shrek to misspelling Mummy? (laughs) I so when I was qualifying for the Mountain Dew League, Glenn. So ESCA season twenty-two, I think it was. There was the there was the Mountain Dew League was introduced, and in this Mountain Dew League, it was the first global LAN, and we had to win like I think it was two or three BO3s because top two from North America was able to go to the LAN in Poland, and my name was Mummy at the time. <clears throat> And one of my friends online changed his name to Link A, so the AY at the end. And like there was a whole thing in TF2, and I played with these people in TF2 and like the Highlander League, which is like an 8v8 league. Um, and I played like a couple of like open uh, TF2 6v6 uh, matches in like ESCA, I think it was, just to like mess around with my brother and a few people. Um, and we all had changed our name to like AY at the end. So as I had changed my name, I was thinking I can't go back because like blue who was a caster at this point in time he kept he like he made it like a big thing and i like enjoyed that he made it like a big thing like it was like oh is it mummy is it mummy i can't pronounce your name and then at lane he had asked me and it just kind of stuck and everyone was just like talking about it and i was like you know what i have to just leave it now i can't just change it out of nowhere and i couldn't change it on esca either so i was like let me just leave it and um it's my name is pronounced mummy the a is actually silent and it's just for looks <laughs> clip it guys clip it put it on the internet share the word yep that's it thank you for clarifying you it. no problem caboose we heard mummy list off 72 different titles that he competed in before he found his job <laughs> as a professional power player what was your road like what game got you hooked what game were you best at before you came into this world yeah, so going back, I started gaming pretty young as well. I started gaming in 2003, so I was just three years old. I actually have a funny video of me playing like Counter-Strike on my YouTube channel. I was just like a little kid. So my big brother got me into Counter-Strike and World of Warcraft originally. Uh, to, the day, to this day, those games, like I still play. Obviously not as much anymore, but uh, World of Warcraft, I've played it pretty much my whole life. Counter-Strike, up until Valorant, I've pretty much played it my whole life. 
Uh, and it's pretty much just been those two games, just games off the Source engine, nothing competitive at all, uh, just playing casually. But yeah, those those two games pretty much ran everything. And in 2012, I believe it was, was like the first time I really branched out into a new type of games. There was a game called War Z. Uh, it was like kind of like a Daisy ripoff at the time, mostly okay. like a, a, a PvP game, stuff like that. Uh, and it was weird. This game was like, it was like really bad, but really fun for some reason. And it got like pretty good viewership on Twitch. Uh, that's where like Summit came from, Dakotas, some big name streamers. So I was playing this game when I was 12 and streaming as well. And I was getting like a good amount of viewership. And uh, eventually, like I, I started getting like into the top of the leaderboards. I was like top 10, I think, in the world in terms of kills. And I really liked that that feeling of like, oh, I'm going to get on today and I'm going to be two ranks higher or three ranks higher and just grinding all day. And that kind of got my my competitive drive up there. I was never really a competitive person before that. And so one of my my clan mates in that game, his name was Google. Uh, he knew I played Counter-Strike, you know, just casually, stuff like that. I didn't even know like a competitive scene existed at this time. He told me about this platform called ESCA where you can play like leagues and tournaments and just uh, pugs versus better players. And so... I started playing those and I was I was terrible. Like I was I was so bad at Counter-Strike. Um I don't know what changed, but I, I just loved to compete. I kept playing. I s played every single season uh when I started playing Counter-Strike. I played every season from 2013 to 2020. And I think it was around my fourth or fifth season where I was just uh like very bad. I don't know what changed, but on that fifth season, like I played really well, like almost double the stats I was getting, got a pro contract like a year after that, and it was just uh, CS pretty much full-time from then. So yeah, just whole life. Counter-Strike, wow. That's pretty much it. And you've been streaming since you were 12 years old. Mm -hmm, yeah. Like eight years of streaming. This is kind of insane to me. So are you still streaming on a regular basis? Did you stop streaming in the middle of Counter-Strike to hide strats, or did you just do this on a regular basis this whole time? Uh, so War Z was definitely the only time I'd be considered a full-time streamer. I was actually putting up some crazy numbers back then. I was consistently doing like 10 hours a day with a 24-hour stream at least once a week and then a 36-hour stream around once a month. So uh, I was definitely dead on the stream grind in War Z. And then in Counter-Strike, I, I didn't have the best PC. I couldn't really stream that game, so I kind of just fell out of it. I'd rather just play Counter-Strike than stream War Z. Uh, and then same thing in Valorant. I'm upgrading my PC soon, but at the moment I can't really stream and play ranked games. My FPS gets too low, especially when like a bunch of abilities are flying out that it kind of just impacts my performance too much. So I was definitely a full-time streamer back then. I would like to stream a lot more now. Uh, and I do plan on doing that when I upgrade this PC. I see Corsair behind you on that wall. They make some products. Maybe they can hook you up. Corsair, yeah, make yeah. it happen. I will definitely reach out. Oh yeah. Oh, there's the video. <laughs> Young boost. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> managed to well, find out. You look exactly the same. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And you were ahead of the meta. I mean, look at the weaponry in hand. Yeah, all yeah, the old All the CS office. What a, what a great map. That is a great map. You got to bring that haircut back too. You're like boy band material at the age of three. Well done, Caboose. Well, we're, we're glad you ended up in Valorant, both you and Mummy, and glad you ended up on Envy, one of my favorite orgs. I've been in esports forever, and Hastro and Envy, before they had money, they were always a top competitive team. That's always been the brand goal is to fight for championships, and I feel like you guys have really proved that you can do that all year long. You are the number one seed.
coming into the first strike qualifier. And, and Dan, we got to kind of talk through some of the big moments in their career. For anyone who doesn't know Envy, this was a team together. We are terrific. Get signed by Envy. And then I felt like as soon as you guys had the brand behind you, your your numbers just continued to improve in terms of your rankings. Was that the accurate road or what was it like, Mummy? Um, we, as a team, decided, like, let's play in these tournaments. Let's play as well and get our name out there. Um, and then see who we can sign with. You know, we didn't want to like, we, we didn't want to do the things that people were doing in this game where they were just getting signed and they were losing tournaments or they weren't really placing well, they weren't showcasing their stuff. And they had this added pressure from being signed to an org that they had to perform. Like we wanted to refine our, our, our skills, you know, we wanted to, to really figure out like, how do we play this game correctly? Because it's new. How can we be successful? How can we be consistent? So we decided to just practice, perform well, and then worry about the org last. We we didn't really have any like crushing ideas to say. Okay, like let's like let's get this org. Let's do this. We just we it sort of was just handed to us. You know, we didn't really need to do anything because our results spoke for ourselves. So um, we placed well. Before we were signed, we got signed, and then we just continued to grow. We peaked at the first seed in the qualifier, and then, uh, you know, we placed third and third or fourth in the the first strike tournament. You know, so we're still trying to get that championship, which is around the corner for us. We're right there, but um, yeah, we're just we're trying to still figure out the perfect way to to maintain consistency. Is it sort of like an inherent part of the, the game that seems to be a struggle? Because it feels like, in obviously, there's more variance in, in this, this game. Like, there's less information on the teams that you might yeah. be playing against in any given matchup. There's less rounds to play. So from a fundamentals perspective, if you have better fundamentals, it may not be as impactful because it's just less rounds. And then on top of that, you know, it's, every team is, is a little bit different in how they mm -hmm. set things up. So... It seems like this game, in theory, it should be very difficult to find that consistency. And like one of the questions I've asked some people, um, professionals, is do you think that that's going to impact the ability for any given team to have an error? Because there is, there is definitely, I think, a good quality for narratives and just, you know, to have a team that just has evolved the game to a point like, a, let's say, Astralis did where they get to have an error. And, yeah. you know, if you look at all the teams that had previous uh, errors previous to them, it was always this new generation of how to play the game. But in this, in, in this game, it feels like that's all, I don't know if Out that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, this game is very interesting in the sense that there is an abundance of information. Like there is, there is so much stuff happening around the map. And in this game, every player on the team needs to understand how to translate that information. And that's kind of where you can find some sort of consistency by how you react to this information that you're getting but overall the other team can can like can mask that information you know like they can like give you this information but they can also like do so many other options off the information you're getting so to find that consistency is is definitely tough because of that aspect of the game but i think you can you can it hasn't been found yet, but I think there's a way where you can find consistency in this game by playing a certain way. Like in my eyes right now, I feel like the game is, is, is split up into two different ways. There's teams that are pop teams and then there's teams that are default teams. And the way that the pop teams uh, play on their, on their attacking side is that they're trying to, to overrun 
and map control isn't their main um, aspect. You know, they don't really care much about map control. They just want to overrun the site and get as many kills as possible and play like a post plant. And then there's a default team where they're trying to attain map control. They're trying to, to stay alive, get information, and figure out where their pivot is. So these two, these two types of teams are colliding, and there's no really set way of how to play right now. Um, the, I think with time, the Counter-Strike background players, the high-level Counter-Strike players, will be able to figure this out, and we'll be able to, to refine our strategy more. But right now, the game is still very early. It's, it's in its very like infant stages right now. So uh, I'm, I'm just excited for the path. Like, I enjoyed the game as people figure more things out and as people are trying to understand how to, fig how to find this consistency. Um, and then we have this new aspect of agents and abilities and maps with eight angles, like Icebox. You know, like, <laughs> like th there's a lot happening in this game. So I think in order for this game to... In order for a team to really find consistency, you have to really think outside the box. You know, no pun intended to what Icebox says uh, on the walls, but you have to really apply things from every element, you know, of every game. And I think you can figure out how to find that consistency or figure out a strategy for that. There's one thing that's really interesting about this game. There's one huge question that I've been thinking about a lot, and I'm really curious about everybody's thoughts on this. Going off of what you, you know, the kind of uh, the thread that we're talking about, just mm -hmm. finding consistency the way the game plays now, there is this element that would change everything that could happen, which is if Riot decided to change the system to a draft based system, you wouldn't be able to prepare as heavily. So that element that teams can hide a lot of stuff and can kind of hit you with maybe some gimmicks that you haven't seen before, that would be less impactful. And what would be more impactful is having players, as you said, that can read the game very well and have very good, a very good understanding of how to execute the fundamentals really well. And team chemistry would be even more important in that sense too. So, so there's, there's this element where you wouldn't be necessarily able to be as innovative per se and as tactical um, because you, you can't just prepare your way out of everything. Right. Um, so so w w would the game be better going down the route of drafting in that sense? Or would it be better to be how, how it is now where you have maybe you know your roster is actually defined in some sense as the players that you choose to be on your roster because of how the meta is and you know that's that's like a very important aspect to it that you need to have players on your roster that can can actually match where the meta is and so on so what do you what do you think about these two ideas because this is a fork in the road like as far as i see it there's a lot of speculation that mm -hmm. that the game may go this way but there's no guarantee but what would be better do you think for the game um, I think that every player on the team should be able to adapt to any role. And that's what this game is kind of forcing. You know, like everyone needs to be able to pivot and play a different agent and fulfill a role. I think the draft system, when you say draft, you mean like, all right, let's ban, like ban pick or just yeah, like, pick man. just, okay. So I think it would be interesting, honestly. I think people would prepare in a certain way that they would prepare for like what people will ban. I'm sure Jet will be banned instantly. Um, and, and Cypher, 100%. maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough question because it would kind of 
defy all logic of like how Counter Strike was played. You know, like it, it would it would it would introduce a different type of game, it, just based off that system alone. You know, so I, I, it's it's tough for me to say honestly. I don't know like what year you can implement it. Right now, I feel like we don't have enough agents to really throw in the picks and bands yet. Um, yeah, to not yeah. see just kind of consistent rosters, which is a lot of people's complaint at the moment. But also, like how how many different compositions should we expect pro teams to be able to play on and to be able to play on at a high level? I feel like if we threw it at you right now, maybe you can have three comps per map. Caboose, how many do you think you guys could play on? We see you constantly switching between your agents. Um, yeah, we definitely could play like at least three comps on each map. Uh, we don't really focus on this right now because obviously there's no pick ban system. So we, uh, we have a couple of counters to certain teams. Uh, if they play a certain way, we might switch up to agents for that. Um, in terms of having a, a pick ban system, I, I really don't like the idea of an invalorant. I think if you want to watch two teams play, they should be playing at their highest level. Uh, they should be playing how they've been scrimming the however many months before the tournament. Yep. And I think just it's too random if, uh, you know, the, this team gets Cypher, okay, this team gets Sova, how do we call strats around this? How do we even play the map? Because you're going to be in really different situations uh, than what you've been scrimming against. So mm -hmm. I don't think it worked very well in this game compared to like League of Legends or something like that, but it could definitely be interesting. All right. Well, so. I'm happy to move things forward to the, the recent patch. Do you have anything, Parker, that you want to throw in there before we move the uh, conversation forward? Yeah, I think just uh, one more time, if you can hit us. we got a lot of new viewers. Thank you guys for joining us again on Immortal Minds. If you haven't already followed the Twitter, guys, so you can find out exactly when we go live because we are hitting you with the news as quick as we can. But, Mummy, talk us through the process. You told us about the foundation of this team when you were together. We are terrific. How did the rest of the squad get filled out to where we're at right now? Um, <clears throat> so originally we had Akis and Clips on our team, um, FNS, myself, Jake, Akis and Clips, and we, um, you know, we essentially played until we figured out, like, all right, you know, we kind of need more firepower, and, um, you know, food and crashes were available, and then we just kind of moved on them. Um, Akis and Clips are both great players, great teammates. It's just we needed a different uh, skill set for our team. And uh, Food and Crashes were a duo. And we, we wanted Food. And Crashes was a, a plus for us. So uh, we, we grabbed them and we added some firepower and we made it work. You know, I swapped to Omen uh, for two maps, three maps, actually. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it's been working well for us. I, I enjoy opping on Omen. Even if I don't op all the way, my rifle is still solid. So uh, it's been working pretty well for us. I think that was kind of the big question when we told people you were coming on the show. Everyone wanted <laughs> to know, why does Omen have the op? Can we just hit that real quick? Oh, trying to give away my secrets about how I play now. That's that's or, or just like if you were an Omen nah, player, you can now have a little firepower when everyone else on your team tells you, no, you shouldn't be the opper. Dude, anyone can play any any anyone can op with any agent. It's just that jet is having jet playing jet with the op is so forgiving for for these players who who haven't played CS who have played jet or for for the players who have played CS and they play jet. They know how overpowered she is. They know that they can take this shot, dash away, and they're free. You know, and then if they hit that shot, it's like. 
you're 5v4 and you're playing a numbers game and you you took a risk that wasn't really too much of a risk because you have an escape, you know, you have a get a get out of jail free card. But when I play Omen and I'm opping, which now since they made the op 5k, it's a little bit less than what it used to be. Um, I'm still able to play in a way where I can I can position myself well, where I can get kills, and I can also support my team by throwing smokes. You know, even if I'm even if I'm throwing smokes, I kind of have to like relinquish my angle, but I still can figure out where I'm positioned if I'm pressured. You know, like there's a lot more thinking towards playing Omen and Oping, but I'm used to it from playing Counter Strike. You know, when you play Omen and you're Oping, it's kind of like you're playing Counter Strike. You know, there's there's no dash, but there's still like angles you know they're still utilizing angles well they're still playing the game correctly they're still having your game sense to know when you should move where you should smoke like i'm able to do a lot for my team i'm able to flash for my team and i'm able to put my, my myself in positions where i'm of impact so like i think omen is strong when you're opting i i think he's the the he would be the second best uh if jet wasn't in the game i think maybe omen would be uh used as an opper I know Sova was kind of used in the in the inception of the game. Yep. But um, I hated opping on Sova. I'm not gonna lie; it was the worst. But too clunky. Uh, it's like you have so much stuff you need to do. Like you have to throw a dart for your team. You need to drone for your team, and then it's like by the time you get all this stuff done, you ha- you're trying to position to get like that that little window of opportunity to get a kill, and you just you're not there. You like you miss your timing. Whereas right. with Omen, it's like I can throw my smoke, and then I could run in, and I can like hold. Uh, heaven on a set, you know, like I can I can do things with my team I could flash for my team and then set up because I know that there's a certain gap of timing that I have where I can get the pick on the opera where me being jet wouldn't really affect myself or my team You know, I'm still gonna be able to go for this pick because I understand that timing and I understand where my enemy will be I try to focus when I'm opting on the enemy opera, you know, so um it's just good to be aware of how to read your team and how to read the opera so you can outplay them. And for me, I don't need a character to do that. You know, I'm confident in my ability to read the enemy team, understand how the opera wants to position, and then support my team as they're they're scaling in the site. And that's my goal as as a player on my team is to support my team and take out the opera to give them clear entryway into the site and then play post plan. You know, like that's the goal for me. It's not like, okay, I'm going to utilize Jet and I'm going to cheese people. Even though she's strong, we still have to figure out a way to counter that without me on Jet. So that's kind of the recipe we've gone for. I love that answer. Le- Levy Mend in the chat asked, what do you think of Reyna opping? I feel like, Reyna, you kind of need to be at the front lines if you're on the attack with your flashes, but maybe on defense, the dismiss and the op combo could work out well. Have you messed around with this? I the so the only time I messed out I messed around with Reyna on op was on bind when actually Asuna tried it back in the early Immortals I think it was Immortals okay. in the Immortals days Asuna actually played as Reyna and he opt and he dismissed and then I was like oh man Reyna and opting that could be cool with the dismiss but it just it seems it, it seems too early for that like it seems kind of like. Like, it's, it's, it's too clunky in the sense, like, it worked well in the beginning of the game because you're able to take, like, these aggressive angles and dismiss and take another angle, dismiss, take another angle. But, like, right now, people understand, like, where these angles are. So you're not going, you're going to get punished much, much easier than expected. So I don't think she's really that great right now. 
because people understand the angles she can dismiss too, and there's just not enough time. You know, like if you if you're if you're getting an op kill, dismissing, getting another op kill, then your team is not scaling properly, or there's just the utility usage was horrible. Right. Because that should never happen. Well, one thing I want to know about actually is like whilst we're talking about some of these duelists, uh, Caboose, you know, in the, when we spoke to some of the European guys on the show, you like scream, you know, I, I think it was scream actually that was kind of like, I don't understand how NA makes Phoenix work. Like Phoenix is, is trash. You know, at least in EU, that's kind of how they, they looked at, at Phoenix and they're kind of confused when they look at how, how you guys are all playing. Uh, Phoenix. So, what, what do you think it is, given how much Phoenix you play, that allows you to make Phoenix look so good? Is there something that we don't know about, or, or is that you know what do you what are you thinking when you're playing Phoenix? Yeah, so it's it's actually really weird to me that the Europeans don't like Phoenix because he's not just like a you know brainless go get kills character. You could run on your defense a lot of setups off your Phoenix. You know, you can have Killjoy turrets or like Cipher cams taking contact for pop flashes. You could retake a lot of map control. So he's just he's really strong, and then on your your offensive side, you know he's great for your your executes. He's really good flashes for being the first guy in. He has mollies for post plants, walls to heal. I think he's just an incredible agent. I think he's definitely better than Reyna. I think he his utility is much more consistent. You know, with at the high level, you can't really get a kill and then fully heal with Reyna that often because they're gonna there's gonna be another guy there, or they just have the right spacing. To trade you so phoenix you can always guarantee you heal yourself with the wall and the molly you always have good late round pressure you always have good early round pressure i think it's really i think he's really underrated in europe i think they can they can definitely use him and upgrade some of their comps for sure yeah i feel like that's uh you made a lot of really good points there and it is interesting actually because with phoenix obviously you're expecting to be getting some kills because he's just in, pos in a position to to be that first person in a lot of the time but is there ever like a battle over who's going to be picking up the alt orbs? Because as you were saying, like, you know, I, I look at um, some teams, like, for example, let's say TSM with, with drone on, on Phoenix, you know, drone and the setups that they have aggressively on the defense, like you were saying, it feels like there's such a strong argument to give Phoenix the like alt orb farms, like farming um, uh, rights, as it were. Uh, is, is that something that's like a battle on some comps? Is that something you're thinking about when you're putting Phoenix into a comp? Is like, can we... <laughs> Is it, can we give him the, the orbs to get the most run it backs possible? Yeah, so that's actually kind of the way we play. Um, me being on the duelist roles, if we're ever in like secured rounds where they're on eco, we like have SMGs and stuff like that. There's like three of them alive. If it's a pretty secure round, I'll just go hunting for those orbs. I think it's important to get your duelists as much orbs as you can. Uh, I think in a, in a great game for Phoenix, you can get like four ults a half or something like that if you're really on top of the orbs and having a good game. So. I think especially on an agent like Phoenix, where he probably has the second best, maybe the best ult in the game uh, behind Jet Knives, I think it's super important to get this ult as many times as you can per half. Uh, it's just going to have huge impact for you if you pop it in like a retake and get a nice entry and create space for your team. So yeah, I think you definitely want to prioritize giving your duelist the ult orbs, giving them the diffuses. Uh, if you're ever in like a 5v2 on your offense, you, let, you give them the spike and let them plant it. I think it's going to be really important in the future for all teams to start doing that. So I just want to quickly follow up on something you just said there. You said um, his ult, you think his ult is the second best in the game. I think that a lot of people would be thinking about a bunch of different ults that they would probably put in their top three before running it back. So what, is, what are the reasons that you, that you would say that you think it's the second best ult? Yeah. Can we get Caboose's top three list? Oh, yeah. Ooh, top three, yeah. So I, I'm not sure which one's number one and two, but definitely Jet Knives and Phoenix ult, I think, are the strongest. 
Um, third best ult. I would probably give it to. Uh... Don't fail, Jake. <laughs> yeah, we both it's, know. It's, we both it's know. To think about. There's, There's only one know. right answer. Clearly, one right. What do you think of that? What, what do you think? I, I Say think... it. Race, baby. Um, no. Race <laughs> oh, <laughs> the mummy showstopper. Legendary. <laughs> nah, Result's definitely, definitely down there on the list. It's hard. I judge these ults based on how often you're in situations to use them. Uh, for example, like Reyna, you can't pop your ults unless they're coming into your site or you're retaking or it's a post-plant. Um, I think Phoenix ult and Jet Knives, if you pop them, there's always going to be a situation you'll find in the round for them. If you're going to retake the site, they're coming onto your site, you're going to get late round info, you're going to aggress early round. Same thing with the knives. I think you can always use these ults, um, and they'll, they'll always have impact at some point in the round. So that's why I think they're so strong, uh, especially just like how how much info they gather. You know, you, you do a Phoenix ult at 35 seconds on Haven, down uh, down A, you like re-clear A, and then you, you can pretty much just stack C, leaving like a guy in B, and it's, it's just the information's huge with this ult. And I think that the Europeans definitely aren't utilizing him uh, as much as they should be. Who has the All worst right. ult? Is it Omen? Uh, the worst ult is definitely Viper. Nah. There, yeah. There's way too much counterplay for Viper. Um, you know, you can shoot like darts or drones through the smoke like that. As, as a raise, I like to satchel through the Viper ult, so I come up behind her as she's just getting pinched from both areas. There's, there's way too many counters. You know, Jet can do that as well. I think Viper definitely has the worst ult in the game. Poor Viper. She has the worst <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't get you. I don't think you picked a third best ult. Are you still thinking? Uh, Thanks, oh, yeah. Um, don't let the dodge it, happen. I would say third best is Killjoy ult because it's another ult that you, you'll find situations that you can use it a lot and it'll still always have impact uh, any round you use it. So I think Killjoy ult will probably be number three. Okay. Mummy, same, same question to you then. Top three ults and, and, and what's your justifications? Phoenix, Raze, Jet. I think. You're serious about Raze? Uh, 100%. I think for alts, I think um, I look I look at alts in the sense of killing. So <laughs> I, I'm 100% serious because when you have Sobol will be like fourth, I would say. But um, if you have a if you have a Phoenix alt, you can disrupt everything. You can. I mean, it it was done to us. Look at the TSM yep. game. Uh, drone, uh, perfect alts. He he ulted us and disrupted our execs. He disrupted everything uh, that we've done, and it's just it's it's so it's so round winning. You know, like it's it's very round winning uh, to have that ult and to create such impact off of it. His the ability to farm these alt orbs and and consistently use your alts to get kills and to disrupt big rounds because you if you think about it you know you're not able to buy every round consistently so you're if you have a if your alt is six orbs or seven orbs I think raises what seven and and Phoenix seven, is, is yeah. six so if you're able to get an orb or a diffuse or a bomb plant and then like a kill like you can get your ult back like every few rounds you know like right. you can you can consistently get this ult back and then you consistent you can consistently keep killing people on gun rounds and then you completely disrupt everything and i think phoenix and rays do that the best 
if you're actually hitting your raise ult, which people should be playing Quake more to understand how to use that ult. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I just think Phoenix. I think Phoenix raise and jet are the most disruptive in the sense that you can kill off of it, and you can like really turn big rounds if you use your ult correctly. And then Sova um, is very disruptive as well uh, for for a lot of reasons that you could ult. If you're positioned well, you can ult spots that you can get a lot of info, or you can get a kill, or you can stop a plant, or you could retake with it. You know, like there's a lot of options off of it. And then like all the other ults, like they're dodgeable. Like Killjoy ult, sure you can Sova ult it. Um, it could push you out of sight, but then you can play like a retake. Like there's no like there's no like okay, we have an advantage off these ults. Like Rolling Thunder, you think from Breach? If is the cone too small? I felt like when that first came out. And I started watching Europe playing as Breach. I was like, wow, this thing is incredible. Rolling Thunder is going to be used to retake every time now. Uh, the, I remember before the Rolling Thunder ult, when it was slower, it was rough. Like, you could dodge it so easily. Or, like, it wouldn't hit you because the cone was smaller or something like that. I mean, the Rolling Thunder ult is, is it can be, like, very high impact. But it also could be low impact. It just depends on how you use it. I think, like it's it's a harder ult like there's a higher ceiling on your breach ult whereas with the other ults like raise ult there's not much of a ceiling it's kind of just like fire in the hole and like let me get a kill you know um i just think that the kill ults are the strongest ults and then the breach ult is kind of like you're you're disruptive if you place it well and then kill ult you can disrupt if you place well like there's a lot of situational ults but then uh i don't think they reign supreme over the kill ults Dan, we got to take a moment and give a shout out. We got the one and only Shakes in our chat right now. I couldn't do it. I wanted to, Shakes. I tried right there. But thank you for coming by Immortal Minds tonight. Thank you, Shanks. Thank you. Thank you. We, we actually have, um, by popular request, uh, the clip, a 1v4 here from, from Yukabooks. So do we have audio on it? Because Dan freaks out on this play. I can give you the audio. I can tell you exactly how this round went. Okay, I want Mummy's audio. So this is what happened. Jake is sitting behind the site, and we're like all calming, like trying to figure out what's happening. And Jake's like, cut sound, cut sound. Like, comms, comms, comms. I have a play. And then he just obliterated everyone. And that was it. I was like, I okay. play. All right, like, so walk us through, Caboose. <laughs> yeah, so I saved this gun from the round before, so they didn't really know I had it. And then... At C, I normally am an A player, so they didn't expect me to be C here. I wasn't spotted at any point in the round. So we had like a little bit of a garage stack that they got taken out. And now they're kind of like pretty careless running up C because they got two kills. Uh, so knowing, having like the timing, I knew when to throw that flash. And it's actually interesting. Like when I got the first kill, it like kind of felt slow motion to me. Like I just felt like I'm about to like wipe their whole team out. Like after I got the first kill, I, I kind of like felt like I was just going to destroy everyone. Uh, and just the shots hit, the, the flash timing was good, and just the positioning to be there in that certain round with the saved gun, uh, them not spotting me at all is actually huge. I think uh, earlier on in the clip, I'm not sure when it starts, you can actually see me uh, choose not to take a fight and actually tuck uh, around that left side of default box just to keep my position hidden. And yeah, it's good positioning, and then the shots popped off, good timing on the flash. It's kind of like a perfect scenario, honestly, for a round like that. You're, you're experiencing the, the flow states. Yeah. Speaking of which, so I have a question for you guys. Um, in terms of obviously playing at the top level, you want to try to be as consistent as possible in hitting that peak 
of your performance, of the range of your performance. So is there anything that you guys have that you do that helps you to do that? Like just to throw it out for as an example, I discovered for myself that although I love to like pump myself up before playing matches, it's actually the worst thing for me to do because I actually need to be very calm and, and actually chill uh, to, to get in the right state of minds to perform very well and consistently. Well, what, what kind of characteristics are there for you guys when you're like trying to like get those optimal performances out of yourself? What are you guys doing for that? I, um, yeah. I wash my hands. <laughs> I'm not well, even joking. I wash my rinse. hands. I got I, the whole team on the hand wash. I got I'm the whole team on now. the hand wash. I, we, I, we talking hot water, cold water? So what you want to do is, here? so this is the strategy. You put them both on at the same time. Okay. You get them a little wet. You, you get a spritz of the soap, you make it a little hotter, and then you give them a nice wash. You, you, you lightly dry, leave them a little moist when you get little back moist. to the computer. Little, just For a grip. little moist. For grip, exactly. <laughs> you know, because your hands change when it's a little moist. And then you just, you get there, they dry up as you join the game, and that's it. You're ready to roll. Your grip is Between pristine. each map. Between each Between map, each yeah. Map. It has to be. Between each map, and it has to be a match. If it's a scrim, mm -hmm. if it's a scrim, you really want to win. But it's a match. <laughs> I like this. this I've actually heard this from quite a few people, and actually, like, it makes a lot of sense because man, sweaty hands don't grip well, man. Hell no, man. So it makes sense. Makes sense. Fun fact: a doctor went through my armpits, cut a bunch of nervous system cords, and now I can't sweat out of my hands anymore. Thank you. I got dry hands. You never have to wash, mummy. I haven't done it all of COVID. Oh man, oh. dude, you are spreading things. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've heard so many people who would, would have taken that seriously would have looked into that. They'd, they'd be Googling. Oh, I actually to, did have the surgery, though. Yeah, you guys need that taken care of for hyperhidrosis, but we wash occasionally. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> well, with, with that said, uh, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the, the patch here? So we had a patch 1.14 very recently. Biggest thing was the icebox changes and also Sage was altered a little bit. And we, we did see in Europe in particular, Sage on Lowell um, of Heretics finding immense success with her kit. And even though she's in, she's been nerfed so many times. What are you guys thinking about Sage? What do you think about Icebox? Give me, give me the deets. Yeah, is she a buff right now, by the way, guys? So you can't place the barrier orb before the round starts. Uh, but once fortified, barrier no longer loses health except right at the very end, seconds before it goes away, it deteriorates. Yeah, so I think, first of all, I think Sage to begin with, before all the nerfs, I think she was a totally fine agent. So I actually don't like that they are keep still changing things about her. I think before the wall would spawn with low HP, I think she was perfect the way she is. But as she is right now, you can definitely play with her. I would say Split is the easiest map to play with her. You have a lot of synergy in Be Heaven with Raze and your slow orbs. You can like do slow nades. The only thing you would really need to change on your playstyle is just walling off mid late so you can rotate to ropes. And if you have this wall up with a new change, it's not going to deteriorate over time. Uh, it's going to make it really tricky for lurks to try to get past that wall and flank ropes. Right. So I think Sage can definitely still be ran. I don't know if she's as good as the other meta agents you can play, uh, like Breach, for example, on Split. I think is the agent you'd switch her out with. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th I think she's like. She's definitely playable, but she's not meta. And I don't think many pro teams will be running her because there's just better options at this point. Yeah, I agree. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, one thing I've noticed as well, you know, you guys talked about the fact that, uh, and I think we'll go into this in a moment, actually, 
In fact, I might just save save it because you guys talked about like the pop versus default types of teams. So I want to get into that discussion. So I'm going I'm to save that for now. Actually, I want to know what you think about Icebox as a map and kind of kind of get that discussion going properly because they did change a lot in terms. I think we can scroll down there. You can see some of the the changes there. And like, is this helpful? Um, would Will you immortals still else? go to the A site twelve <laughs> rounds in a row against you? <laughs> uh, me personally, I really like the changes. Especially yeah. this this A change, like this duel up top was like definitely the most awkward one on the map. And then it they sucked. even they even got rid of the annoying double yellow stack on B, which was like a really annoying fight. Like it's too much verticality, it's too much flicking. Right. So it, they definitely cleaned up the map a bit. It's it's not a map I hate anymore. It's not my favorite <laughs> map. I'd put it like in the middle. I think it's pretty fun to play. Um, I would just. I would just mess around with the B site a little bit and the kitchen area. Right now, B site seems like there's just way too many angles, not enough utility to cover all these angles. And then the mid kitchen area, if you're on the attacking side, it kind of feels like a death trap to just walk off that tube. Like the, the angles are very defender-sided up there. So uh, there's not really much point to go there. And I think they can make some changes there into the B site to make the map uh, one of the best. Dan, for anyone who's listening to this on podcast, we should probably describe what we're seeing on camera here. So let's talk first about the A site and the changes they made with the verticality. Yeah, so actually, you know, this is something I want to get actually from Mummy and Caboose. What do you guys call the area that was changed? Because, you know, we've got bells, we've got all kinds of different calls that I've heard, but what do, what do you guys use? Up top. Uh, yeah, <laughs> up, up top. exactly. <laughs> uh, this, 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 this change was good uh there's too much there was too much going on i mean if you played this map and you and you you understand the timing of this area like just it's so weird you know like you could be on the left you could be in the tube you can be at pipes you can be uh down low like by the jump up angle like you can do so much stuff and you're just uh, like you're at a, a crossroads it's like do i spend utility to know if they are aggressing do i like play slow like how like how do i know where they are here so this change is good because from me playing this map uh as omen i i can control this area more like as a controller you know like i can control this area with more success than before the change you know so now we have a definition of ramp you know we have a ramp on a right now you right know, we have a ramp on a and then we have lower and then we have pipes so there's like much more defined callouts is like gate ramp pipes lower tube rather than like all oh, close right here by uh, by up top that like <laughs> underneath you know, the high ground under, yeah <laughs> underneath the high ground then there's like this mid-level <laughs> ramp area like it's just there, there wasn't a definition that you can give to it so i think it really uh refined the map and made it much easier for for both sides you know to play it and for for, for as pocket mentioned those on the podcast it's kind of the bells area behind uh, the nest and it's something uh, we also saw the change around yellow on the b side there's less verticality mm. there so um one quick note on the a side and whether you guys expect this to change as the map gets played more is immortals did go to a every single round of their attack just like fuck it stated in their matchup against you and i like one of the theories i had behind them doing this is it's just this, I imagine there's just a lot of variance there. So especially if you're playing against a team that's that's definitely better than you, especially in the default type of game, in the mid rounds, 
it seems like such a like just the obvious answer that they would want to do that. You can just go in there. There's a lot of variants. They remove some of the advantages that that you as Envy have as a better team in some of those capacities by just taking out the mid round from the game and just just loving that variant. Top team. Is that yeah? Is that is that um, something that's going to be made a little bit less abusive? You know, uh, in this in this with these new changes, because you say you feel like you can control things on Icebox a little bit more, especially on the A site. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that for me, at least, uh, as an opera on this site, um, I feel like I can control this a lot better. And I feel like there's more of like, uh, there's more like a streamlined aggro play that you can do um, off this. And removing that box in that, in that clip right there, like, I, I, I don't know what that little... I don't know what that little toy truck is that that they have changed to, but uh, it made that area like a lot easier to take because before you would have to really like throw a dart back there and like kind of clear so much stuff, and then there's just so many there's just so many angles on it um, that you can be in, um, which made everything tough. But from a defender perspective, I think that if you try to go A every round. With this new change, I think it's going to be a lot harder because there's there's birds coming at you, you know, there's drones coming at you from up top, and you can't really do much. But now, like with this with this change, you can kind of play a little bit more aggressive, knowing that you can cover angles much easier with your team. Yeah, and with that said, um, Pocket, is there anything else that you have on the sort of changes, the patch discussion, or should we get into first first strike? Because we've got about. 20 minutes or so before we, or 15 minutes uh, or, so, or so before we hit up that AUA. Understood. So real quick, just for anyone who wants to know what else is in the patch notes, on December 15th, you're going to be able to throw snowballs out of your brimstone molly launcher, and you're also going to get a chance for discounted guns in the night market, which launches today, December 10th. So check those out if you're interested. Um, other than that, it looks like Sage got the mini buff and big changes to Icebox will hopefully make it not just an a site hit every time and uh <laughs> with uh you know with with that said as as bucket said in first strike that was your first matchup that was the first game of first strike in fact you know and envy versus immortals and you guys played against all those a hits it's we swapped over to the second half and i think i noted this in in the commentary i i said you know <laughs> I said, you can immediately tell the difference between Immortals and Envy as a team because Envy is actually playing a mid-round. They're trying to play mid-round. And, and to kind of explain this, this concept quickly to people, one way to kind of digest tactical FPS, as we know at Valorant and CS, is you have an early round, you've got a mid-round, and you've got a late round. And in yep. the mid-round, the key thing is that there's still, there's still time within the mid-rounds where you can have time to get information, you have time to get map control, you have time to, to kind of work out what's going on and you have time to then use that information to play it into your advantage. So if you're just playing the early round, let's say you're a pop team like Mummy was describing, you're going to be hitting in those early timings, and you're kind of throwing it all on, on those early timings, and the round can be won or lost um, by the advantages gained or lost in that moment. But you're kind of in the dark the most. You can think of it like in poker, where if you're just going to shove all in you know, and play pre-flop, that's the early round, basically. You're not playing against the opponent, the mind games, putting them on a range. You're kind of removing a lot of the a lot of elements of skill, um, presumably from from the you know these dynamics. Which, if you're the worst player, that's definitely a strategy that can make sense. It's my power so, move. So Envy <laughs> uh, played a mid round. We saw that um, at Caboose. In fact, I wanted to ask you about this because a lot of teams didn't really play much of a mid round style. 
we saw a later matchup with 100 thieves and they they played mostly a lurk towards mid but they they kept to this kind of heavy pressure towards towards a mostly or b just with that lurk in mid and that was kind of their mid round strategy steel would kind of get info and see what he could do in mid and but often it would end up just being that heavy pressure I saw that, you know, uh, Caboose, you would often go on top of the tube to try to get info, to try to understand what the rotations are. And then Finesse, it seemed, would make a call. We want to, because Icebox has long rotations for the defenders. So typically, mm -hmm. this is a great spot for a good caller and a team that's got good communication, because you can kind of work out how to abuse their terrible rotations. So what do you guys think in terms of seeing more default play and more mid-round play on the Icebox? Is that something that's good? Or did you guys... Like, did you guys find a lot of success with this in scrimming and so on? Yeah, so as the map's still pretty new, a lot of the teams do gravitate towards this, like, a exec at the start of the round type play. They don't really know how to play the map. Um, I'd say the teams, I think it was just our game and Immortals game, and then the Sentinels, Hunter Thieves that played Icebox this tourney, but um, all those teams, except for Immortals, qualified through the first qualifiers. We actually had, like, a month advantage to scrim this map. So we've kind of had a better idea of where players play, how we can abuse rotations. I think Good that point. I think map control and defaults will be the meta just because of how large the map is. There's lots of timings that you can find, specifically like under the tube and going up the tube. Um, so I think defaults will definitely be the way to play this map. You can, of course, throw a couple execs in because they're still strong, but I think most teams will gravitate to defaults on this map for sure. Yeah, I, I really liked what you guys were doing with that. And it, it is surprising not to see more of that style of play. And it, it, it was quite interesting because there was a standoff in 100 Thieves and Sentinels. There was this standoff where, again, for, for those of you listening, one of the things strategically that can happen if you've got a you have a team that's playing that pop style that Mummy was describing is that that pop style is, can be quite strong because you can run that execution like Caboose was talking about, which can just be good. But the, the kind of counterplay can be for the defenders to actually push the side of the map where they're not experiencing pressure because they know that you're playing this execute style. So you have to have a lot of players towards that place where you felt pressure on the map. So it's like, well, if you're pressuring all over there, we can probably assume that it's going to be pretty weak. Um, you have like no presence maybe even on the other side of the map. So we can push that for info and flank timings. And so exactly. then what you can do is you can counter that as the team that's playing the execs, the pop style, by slowing down your play and trying to trap them to, to make a move like that and then punish it. So what we saw that happened in the Sentinels 100 Thieves matchup is, in particular is we saw this abuse of timings, but Sentinels against 100 Thieves, Sentinels would decided to just play passive. They never wanted to push because they never wanted to fall into that trap, that possible trap. So th this is, I feel like, less interesting to watch than the default style. But that's one of the that's like the, the the main dynamic that we saw, and it feels a lot more limited. And there's like there's more variance. Like, do, do you guys tr try to avoid that style of play because you have classified yourselves as more of a default heavy team? And I think that's why you're so consistent, generally speaking, honestly. Yeah, I mean, we don't really do much of that pop stuff. Like, we have a couple of rushes and execs, but like, we don't base our uh, we, we we don't rely on a pop. You know, we don't rely on on. Okay, we we could just pop on this team like let's just four one or let's five men. Like we still are playing into uh, attaining information, and a lot of these these pop teams are successful because they might encounter people who don't understand how to play versus the pop strat, or they might not understand that this team is actually a pop team. You know, like that that's something that's for me. I figured out. Uh, 
while playing this game like you know there's people that now are popping you know i, I came into this game thinking that there's going to be like a just a default ren and and that's it you know let's just play default let's play with map control but um it's interesting to see the style of play and um if it works it works but i think after a, a while it might uh it might fall out i don't think, I think it's going to be successful i think we're going to see a lot more triple duelist after seeing that featured in the latest tournament especially in matchmaking games so for anyone who is trying to prepare for just matchmaking pop what do you do to slow them down? I know we talk at a high level all the time, but this mm -hmm. is someone that maybe in gold or plat could take away. Um, <clears throat> I think that if if you're if you're playing a team that's a pop team and you're unsure what to do, you have to think in the terms of what DDK was just explaining. Like, take map control from them. So their their whole agenda is to go A or B. And your job is to understand if they're going A or B, and you're supposed to be quickly taking map control and converging on them. So, like, just think of it like if you look at this map of Icebox in the top left, if you like pull that map up, just think about it in the concept of look at this whole other side of, of the B site and look at middle, and then everyone's going towards A. The people on A, you can, you can all defend A, or you can slowly converge onto A and kind of circle them you know like get a better advantage kind of like if you're playing starcraft you know you want to you want to have the 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 whole angle like you want to enclose on them and that's how you have to think about a pop team is to take the map control from them take it very fast and don't give them any breathing room understand that they're going to pop and understand you, that map control isn't like information on the other side isn't that important but converging on them and giving them no way out is much more important so you should be looking to converge and to and, and to pick them off one by one as from all angles as you're you're entering the site for a retake or if they're if if you're holding them if your site anchors are holding them and you use your utility well and you're you're fast flanking you know you stay alive for the fast flank just try to figure out where they're going and understand that you shouldn't be giving them room to to play with yeah, versus, versus pop teams, you kind of have, like, you kind of know exactly what they're going to do within, like, the first 15 seconds of the round. Uh, if you're taking map control off them, it's going to become really obvious in your games what they're actually trying to do in the round. I feel like, as well, at a lower level, people try to overcommit themselves to a defense, and they're not, they don't understand that you can just play a retake. You can just give stuff up and just play a retake as well. And I yeah. think that's that's, like... One thing, I think the most underrated skill that I see, or one of the most underrated concepts that I see in matchmaking that for the general player is that you, is, the, is the quality of delaying or like finding ways to delay and, and stay alive right. as opposed to putting yourself in a spot where you're going to be committed to a fight. And it was, I try to highlight in, in cast sometimes because sometimes you'll see like the pro players are so good at delaying and staying alive in spots that it creates this, this horrendous situation for the attackers where they can't quite gain ground necessarily because they are afraid of a peak or their next cross to the next position is a bit too too long, so it's not super safe. And so in not giving that player an opportunity to actually have a fight, you just staying alive allows your buys your team an extra five seconds or something, or maybe even if it's just one second in this game, it's just it can be the most marginal timings that can, can win you around. And I've seen that so many times at the pro level where I'm like, my mind is blown by like how well one player survived and that just that extra second one helped to win the round. And so that's, I think, another thing that I, I would throw in there. 
Right. Yeah, at delay is huge. Um, TSM did that versus us a lot on, on our execs. You know, they were able to stall for a few seconds and, and rotates were able to come in and they had support where and we weren't really in the site or we were in the site and we weren't able to get to post plants and they already had their whole force there. So that's something that is, is an important aspect of the game to, to understand when you should be playing a retake and to understand to del that you should be delaying and staying alive. You know, getting an entry and getting traded, you know, it can be beneficial but it's it's very situational so it's just important to understand when you should be living and when you should be dying yeah no i think um i, I want to one thing i wanted to do in this show but we we decided i think to not do it necessarily mm -hmm. was that you guys said that you felt like the game that you played against envy was you know things just were pretty poopy so we won't yeah. <laughs> so we won't we won't necessarily like dive into an analysis of that but if you have any takeaways or things that you would have you would do differently if if you were able to repeat that uh, what, what would it look like? Yeah, I want to talk about this one at the start here. Caboose, what was it like fighting drone at the start of every <laughs> round on Ascent? And were you guys battling for the orb? Is that why that fight was consistently happening? What did that matchup look like for you on map one? Uh, so yeah, TSM, they're a team like us. They like running a lot of defaults, fighting for map control. So uh, it's kind of like the duelist jobs to be in those areas to contend. You know, we're going to fight A main a lot. We're going to fight B main a lot. Uh, it's just the the areas that these duelists should be in to fight for the map control. And so naturally, we're going to find a lot of duels. And that's normally how a lot of games will go. Uh, it's normally going to be uh, the duelists fighting the duelists. Uh, and then like the ciphers working on the ciphers, stuff like that. But yeah, playing playing against a player like Drone, especially when he's feeling it super hot that day, is uh, it's very tough. It's very tough to play against. He's like peeking, then running out and throwing yeah. mollies at your feet. Right, and then you'd still hit the headshot, but you'd both yeah. die. I was like, this is getting yeah. nutty. <laughs> He's very disruptive. Yeah, the A-Min fights are brutal like him. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like they were pretty aware as well as, as to like some of the things that you wanted to do. I think this might be around actually where you try to set up on A-Main. There was one round where you tried to set up on A-Main. I don't think this is it actually where they just like Wardell just kind of tapped the orb and sort of baited you yeah. out. And there was a lot of trades in the round, so it wasn't over by any 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 uh, extent, but it did really seem like TSM were just like hitting every shot. And it was just one rotation by FNS in that round where he just got caught out on the timing and then that just kind of collapsed. But it felt like there was a lot more marginal situations than maybe yeah. the score actually represents. And um, I think I think that's, it's a, it was a really interesting matchup in that sense, because sometimes a team looks a lot worse than they're actually rough. playing, per se. Look at this flash right here by Drone. Perfectly timed on me. Oh, His, yeah. We had a perfect setup here, and then Drone's flash just catches me on the left here, and we lose this We lose this exchange. And this was a huge round. Perfect flash for me. Oh. I couldn't help, and then I lose. Like, these rounds, uh, this game, even though we lost by whatever amount it was, I don't even remember, uh, these, these rounds were very close. Like, we played, our strategy was there. Like, our tactics were there. We knew what we had to do. Um, we just we were depressed on the on the on the gas pedal, you know. Like it wasn't all the way down for us in in, right. sense, in, in terms of aiming um, and trades and 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 stuff like that. Like we just we were disrupted so many times, and we just found ourselves delayed in in doing everything. And TSM capitalized on that, and and uh, Drone and and Sabrosa were just playing exceptional you know Sabrosa was was pushing he was confident and he was uh he was taking map control by himself and and drone uh drone ulted on 
every round that was huge, he was able to ult while we were scaling into sight, as I was saying before, and disrupt our whole entire post plant. Sure, we got the bomb down, but drone took out two consistently. And we're playing like a 3v4, like a 3v5 post plant scenario, and we're just getting overran. You know, we're getting out traded. And, you know, it was just, it, it was a tough game. And the only real reason is just, you know, we, we just were not playing to our strengths that game uh, as far as aim-wise and, and um, playing together. You know, we kind of were, were disrupted in a, in a lot of ways. And TSM played exceptional. Now, That's did early. you expect the weird buys coming in from TSM? Because watching it back this morning, one of the things I noticed was like round two, Wardell buys the Vandal. Uh, round, I think they lost round three. So round four, someone buys a single AR. They they back it up with a Spectre and then three Sheriffs. It felt like mm. they were constantly going for these thrifty rounds and actually had success in quite a few of them. I think more. I think that's more of like, as a Jet or as an opera, like, Wardell saves a lot, you know, like for myself, too, I save if I want to get an op and if I lose a round, I have a lot of money to play with with economy. So if I'm feeling it, you know, maybe I'll buy an AR, maybe I'll hero, like I'll glass cannon or whatever. Um, I, I think that's, you know, more more towards playing into like, are you feeling it or not? You know, and maybe Got he it. was feeling it and and he threw it in, you know, like that's like good for him. That's that's a good play. Um, can't take anything away from that. So it's not really like it's not really like should we expect it or not? It's more so like. How can we like nullify it if if it happens? You know, how do we get the information and how do we nullify it? So, yeah. And to be clear, you took his vandal away second round and you guys used it in the third round. So it Absolutely. didn't work out every it time. It didn't work out exactly, exactly. It's more of like a risk that you know is he is he willing to take the risk and and will it pay off? You know, like what's what's the trade off here? So uh, it didn't work out, but uh, good job buying triple- it. Triple Duelist was kind of featured a little bit before this tournament, and then TSM just used it nonstop. Did the comp not being a meta comp throw you guys off at all? Um, I don't. I don't feel like it did personally. Um, having more duelists and more pressure is definitely a thing that you can feel, but it's not something that really changes up your game plan. Having this agent swap, like you can still kind of play the same way uh, and and win versus them. You, you actually have a lot more openings now that they have no Sentinel to hold the flank. Uh, taking map control from them on your defense is actually a lot more important because you can start getting flanks off uh, and then pretty much force them to, to have one of those players stay and hold the flank. It kind of makes them like useless in the rounds where you're not pushing. So I think the only thing you really change is you just have to take more map control from them, but it doesn't really change anything else like setup-wise and stuff like that. Yeah, it's more so like you have a player holding an area as opposed to like a trip or a turret, you know, since they're running triple duelist. Well, I'd I'd love to like keep you guys talking about the game forever, but we only have so much time because you guys have a practice schedule and everything. So I want to give the viewers an opportunity to ask you guys some questions. So we'll move into our Ask Us Anything segment. So guys in the chat, now is your opportunity to get in some questions to Mummy and Caboose. I've got a few saved up. Can I jump right in? Yeah, okay, so yeah. the first question, there's all kinds of roster talk, so feel free to dodge any of these questions. Feel free to dive in <laughs> as deep as you want to. Um, first ones, how often do you guys watch Europe? Are you familiar with the European scene, Mummy and Caboose, or is that just left up to the coaches? I don't watch Europe too much. Okay, so um, we're going to avoid those conversations, guys. We'll, we'll hit that yeah. with some of the European players. To be, to be honest, like the reasoning why I don't watch Europe is because the, the comps are so different and the situations are so different. Like There's good things to take here and there, but 
I haven't really like delved deep enough to really like apply things to like our meta or our comp. Um, yeah, from my like perspective, like I can watch these players who play my agent and kind of take things here and there, but from like a team perspective, I don't think there's there's uh, there's value unless like we all are agreeing on watching it and like applying things that they're using. Because right now, like all the metas between regions are very different, I would say, and that's uh, what got me watching most. Right, Caboose. We still all J two was at kind of the top of everyone's personal rankings. A lot of the Spike GG rankings as well for the European scene. There's a big rumor going on that they would be benching two players. We saw Scott bench himself on T one, and T one has come back stronger than ever, uh, especially after the addition of Days to the lineup as well. Is this the right time in the game to make these swaps if you're a squad like G two? Because clearly, together we are terrific. Made some big changes and it paid off for him. Yeah, I'd say um, I, I'd say it could definitely be the time if there was an opportunity. I think us on MD, we just kind of had that opportunity. and We had to capitalize off of it. You know, it's you're not gonna see players like Crashy and Food on the market every day. So uh, if they have someone in mind, I think it's a great idea. But I, I don't like making roster changes like at all. Uh, I don't think it's it puts you back a lot more than it's gonna like instantly put you forward. And if you just grind out a lot of your issues. Uh, I think you can stay on top, even with G2 dominating everything. You know, they lost one event and made a change. I think unless they have, like, a really solid player in mind, that it, it doesn't make too much sense to do that. But also, at the end of the day, I, I as well don't watch too much of Europe because it's too different. So I'm not too aware of, of how uh, G2 and stuff like that are doing. Totally. Uh, NRG is making some moves. There was a lot of hype around the squad coming into the first strike qualifiers. Mummy, can you weigh in? On your thoughts, Kohler looks like he will be sitting on the pine for the near future. Uh, Energy's just trying to find their 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 stride, you know. Uh, I I love the guys at Energy. Um, I think they're all great. Um, it seems that they need something different than what Kohler can provide. Kohler's a great duelist, and he frags out. Um, maybe they're seeking someone who who has a little bit more. Um, experience under their belt, or they're trying to find someone who can um, play a little bit more with the team um, than he does. Uh, but I don't really have anything set for them. Uh, no, no bad words for me uh, for them benching. You know, Chet's a great coach, and he is very knowledgeable. So I think he will make the correct move, and the team will make the correct move because they they are very experienced from Counter Strike. So. Uh, I have faith in them to figure it out. You got one, Dan? Actually, I don't. I was just listening. I got fan sillies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this next one, uh, Mummy, you're now playing Omen. Van Silly, also one of the commentators, the analyst from First Strike, for anyone who is tuning in for the first time. His question, how would you tweak Brimstone to have him picked more versus Omen? Uh, tweaking Brimstone, I would allow his smokes to reach the same range that omen smokes can reach global smokes global smokes as omen omen's not too global there's areas you can't smoke it's like 80 uh, percent though right yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's like it's like 92 i would give it there we like go 92 because like this when i'm across the map i'm like ah, i can't smoke this for you i have to get in a really dumb spot but if you're able to smoke the same way omen's able to smoke that would assist um a lot i think i think like I think Omen's kit is good, but I wouldn't want to play... Or Sorry, I think Brimstone's kit is good. I just wouldn't want to play Brimstone because I couldn't smoke areas from my team that 
I can't smoke on Omen. So it puts me in like this this weird position where like I can't take an extremity. So I have to play towards the middle of the map. So I can't like take a deep line on an extremity and expect like my team to just like I I can't just stay by myself and do my own thing as an opera. You know, I have to like be towards the middle and play a little bit more with my team and that kinda like defeats the purpose as an opera to like take a deep line and hold an area while my other team um waits for an exec or they go for an aggro pick so that's like one thing i would i would probably change um and then like his his molly's his molly burns man it hurts so it's pretty good but the flash might be much better in in certain situations than a molly uh i would say i would say a flash is better than the molly honestly because other right. you have phoenix molly and other mollies killjoy molly and then his ult is nuts i, I think brimstone has a really good ult also um I would love to play Brimstone. Uh, if I actually played Brimstone in the beginning of the game, also, but did you opt with Brimstone? Uh, of course, <laughs> I opted everything. Man. Pre pre op nerf, I had free reign. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, I would I would say that just make his smokes global like omens, and then see how it goes. And the stim beacon is like useless, but I don't know what they could do with that. I don't really have that that character design mind there. Yeah, Caboose, if if they remove the sounds on the iPad, is that enough to improve um, Brimstone? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. I think he needs more smokes. I think only having three, I think you can give him four. Um I think the iPad change wouldn't be too big because omen smokes actually make a sound as well if you're close yeah. enough to hear. Yep. So uh, and a lot of the times you're you're popping all of your smokes and you're going. So even though they hear the iPad sound, the execute's got to come like a second later anyway. So it's not like it, it'll give them an early rotate. Uh, I think that he just needs like an extra smoke and something about his stim beacons, like maybe just completely remove the stim beacons to give him something new or, or find some way to buff it. But give him armor, maybe. Stim beacons give armor. Ooh. Yeah, give him a little armor. That could be pretty could cool. Could be cool. Maybe like slowly regen. So you have to like stand in it for a couple seconds. So you take an early duel and start shielding up i don't know but uh the, the stim beacon is terrible i i think his smokes the, the only way he'd be meta is if i think his smokes went across the map and maybe he had one more of them uh and then something about the stim beacons for sure o omen's just way too good in every aspect you know his smokes are bigger they reach longer uh you can they regen so i think omen's just better in every aspect right now yeah, I think that's very fair. And I, I think that it's uh, definitely represented in the comp choices. Um, I think it's only really Angel in Europe where I was like, this guy's running in first with Brimstone, what's happening here? But another one <laughs> and Piper. Angel's yeah, crazy, I, I, man. Yeah, he's, he is. Bird. <laughs> he's something special. Uh, we have a question here from uh, Sphinx number nine. Who are the strongest teams on each map in North America? Do you guys have an internal ranking of this team is the best on Haven or stuff like that? Yeah, let's start with Haven. Best team on Haven. Go, mummy. Best team on Haven. Oof. Um, They're first say... ranked champions. Yeah, 100 Thieves is pretty solid. Caboose. I would say 100 That's Thieves. Cool. Energy was also solid on Haven, too. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah, energy was solid. Didn't on see on that pick coming through. Kaboom. Even let's go to even bind. Let's on bind. Uh, bind. I would probably give it to Sentinels. They're very, very yeah. hard to play against when they're aggressive, and they tend to play really aggressive on that map. Mummy, also, I'm split. not sure why my cam's like this. You look split, awesome. Right? I'm it's like, like bright. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it just came out of nowhere. Uh, for split, I would say um, 
Envy and Sentinels. 100%. Icebox. Back to you, Caboose. Icebox, Ooh. best team in NA. Ooh. Um, this one's tricky because there's there haven't been that many matches played on it, but I'd like to think that we're at least top two. Uh, mm -hmm. I know Sentinels has a really good icebox as well, and 100 Thieves shows they have a good icebox. So uh, top three is definitely between these teams, but I'm not sure I can say who's number one yet just because there hasn't really been any matchups. Yeah, TSM2 is up there, I would say. And then I'll let you both answer this one at the same time. You have five seconds to make a decision. Ascent. Five, four, three, two, one. Best team is? Hundred Thieves. <laughs> Give it to Hundred Thieves and Sentinels. Okay. Defend your picks here, guys. Uh, I think a hundred thieves. It's like a really good map for them. They they're good at taking control. They're good at running fakes, leaving lurks around, uh, as well as Asuna and Dicey. The map gives them a lot of freedom. They have yeah. a lot of space to to take duels into their own hands. So I think it's just a really good map overall for the style of team that they have. I think for Sentinels, uh, they're strong on there because Shazam Shazam likes to go through middle and utilize Jet perfectly. Like he. He goes through middle, he gets in and out of smokes, he gets picks early on, he disrupts map control for uh, for the attackers, and he does that really well. And Sinatra, the OG Odin, you know, he, he comes in on, on, on B site and, and locks it down, he really disrupts a lot of that map control also. And then they have um, Dapper plays Killjoy slash Cypher on that map, I think it's mostly more Killjoy. Uh, and he does a really great job of... of annoying people with his his gadgets and then you have zoms who's hard anchoring a uh yeah. that really disrupts execs with his flash and and he hits really good shots so you I, guys I crushed that segment well done thank all you. five guys we picked the best of the best dan i know you got a bunch of questions let me hit this one real quick table in the chat wants to know what is the major difference between t1 and t2 valorant that's a great question uh I, I would say it's about the mid-round decisions. You know, all these players, even between the Tier 1 and Tier 2 scene, they're all very mechanically skilled. You know, they're all really good at, you know, controlling their aim and getting a multi-kill and stuff like that. But it's it's the decision-making and the positions they play and stuff like that. That's just, it's too far behind, I think. You know, they're, they're not going to make the, the right decision for their team a majority of the time. Or I'd say in, in Tier 1, Valorant, they're much better at making these decisions, being in the right positions at certain times. I think it's all about the mid-round, honestly. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think I, I, when I watch some of Tier 2 Valorant, I'm like, ah, like, why aren't you doing this? Like, there's these time, like, you're missing timings. And, like, I think that's really crucial, like, from going from the top down. Like, as you're higher up in this game and you're like tier one like you understand timings much more and as you're going down you don't really understand the concept of timing or you're you're not aware of the timings that you're capable of taking and like for me i think the that difference separates tier one and tier two is just understanding what timings you're capable of and how to take them and the best approach to taking them because like there's these split second decisions that they can do that can win them rounds that they're not doing and it's just for me it like hurts me in the inside to watch it and i'm like Oh, I just want to tell you, like, do this, go there. Like, why are you doing this? And then, of course, they lose because of that. Well, uh, I have to, I have to say, I, we don't have time really for anything except one more super quick question because I know you guys have to go. Sure. I'm sure we could be here for for hours. I don't, like, yeah, you guys 100 percent. But um, <laughs> we'll have to get you on again in the future. But my last question, sure. we asked, we've been asking people this recently. To we, we asked Hayes uh, last time he, he was on. What are your top five 
teams in North America. You got to rank from best to Ooh. fifth. By the way, you were in Hayes' top five. Oh, as we should be. The man himself. James is a great guy. Um, top five. You got that first cent. You got that. Uh, all right, I got it. Can you want to go from me... five to one? Is that easier? Give me like 30 seconds to think about this. All right, all right, I got it. I got all it. Right, you got it. You got it. Uh, right. start, starting at number one, I would give it to Sentinels. I think they didn't show what they're capable of that tournament because they haven't been scrimming as much. I still think they're the hardest team to play against. They're the only team that consistently gives us trouble. Um, so yeah, I, I would put them at number one. Wow. If, okay. if we're throwing ourselves in there, I would still put us at number two. I still think the same thing. We didn't show what we're capable of at first strike. Right. Uh, the, the teams that we play against, they don't give us as much trouble uh, as they should. So I, I really feel like we're, we're number two. Uh, number three... Uh, 100 Thieves, for sure, they're a team that seems to progress a lot after each tournament. It kind of looks like us early on, where each tournament we started placing better and better. They're kind of doing the same thing, you know, making massive leaps. They made the final uh, versus us, and then they won the main event. So their, their improvement and their skill ceiling, it seems like it's still yet to be hit. Uh, TSM, I would give number four. Uh, they have a lot of experience, a lot of superstar players that can pretty much beat any team on any day, depending on how on they feel. It's always super hard to play versus these guys. And number fifth, I would give that to Cloud9. I think they have a really good IGL, and I think you know they have the best player in the entire game over every region, which is Tens. It's no matter what, no matter how the, the game is going, it seems like this guy always is, is top fragging in the server. So it's always really hard to play against those guys. Oh, yeah. Do you agree with all those, Mummy? I, I would swap TSM and 100 Thieves. I'd put TSM over 100 Thieves. Uh, okay. Yeah. Even though they won, I, I still think that I still think that if you give TSM another matchup, I think they will beat 100 Thieves. And not taking anything away from 100 Thieves, I just think TSM are a, a better team um, overall. Um, and like these teams in this top five, like everyone is so good. Like all these teams are great, and anyone could beat anyone on any given day. Like that's what's. Like, that's what is happening right now. Like, there's a race to see who can consistently be the top. So, like, we're all trying to figure that out as these top teams, which is an awesome time, you know, for and, people to watch. And we've got the JBL tournament coming up this weekend. So, do you think we'll get our answers? Should we be weighing into this one deeply, or is this just a one-off online event? Uh, you know, it's, it's too early to tell right now. I think... I think like midway through 2021, we'll have some more like solidification on who's consistently at the top because there's still there's still a lot to happen. Like Icebox is new, Sky's new. True. Um, there's a new agent probably coming around the corner, right? With the with the new actor or whatever. Um, so, like, uh, give it some time. Like, you know, let, let's let's let these these roster changes pan out. Like, let's let everyone figure out their roles, uh, figure out the maps, and and. Uh, I think we'll have like a more solid answer like halfway through 2021 when we're playing through the Champions Tour. All right. Well, I guess time will tell is the answer. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, right. Uh, so again, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such yes. a pleasure having you guys on. It's so awesome to talk to you. Uh, is there anything that you guys are doing besides some of the tournaments that you're playing that you want people to, to know about? Like, do you have you know, YouTube channels? Do you have content that you're pouring out that people should be jumping on top of? Uh, for me, uh, I'm, I just started a YouTube. If you guys want to go follow me on YouTube, I've been releasing some content there, just kind of some stream highlights of me playing. There's a lot with Hiko because we like to play at the same time, uh, I guess. 
Um, and then I've been like just releasing some clips uh, here and there on Instagram about just some stream highlights. So if you guys want to check that out, follow me, subscribe, like them. There's always good gameplay, and you could always ask me any questions. Like I'm, I'm open to talk to. I'm not like gonna stray away from anyone. You know, I answer everybody. So feel free to just message me or comment or whatever, and I'll, I'll respond. Yeah, awesome. same thing. Same thing for me. I'm doing a lot of streaming on my Twitch, which is Twitch.tv/CabooseFal. Uh, same thing. I try to read every single question. So if you ever have like questions for me, come into my chat for sure. Uh, I focus mostly on like aim training during my streams. So if you want some tips on how to you know, get a more consistent aim, uh, see some new training routines, definitely stop by. I uh, love doing that. I definitely need to do that. Caboose, when's the <laughs> next time you're streaming? I'm stopping by. No problem. Uh, it, it'll probably be a tonight's stream. I think tonight will be the night. Awesome, man. Well, thank you both. As Dan said, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Congratulations on all of the success recently. I know you didn't go as far as you wanted in first strike, but you get another mm -hmm. shot at it. And we uh, can't wait to watch you guys take the field again. Absolutely. Thanks cool. for having us, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, for everybody else out there still on the stream, we will be raiding Shanks. So yeah, <laughs> shout out to, to Shanks, who actually popped by with his viewers. So we're going to give it straight back. And remember, if, you, if, if you're enjoying this content, make sure to subscribe to all of our channels. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter as well, so you can get updates as to what we're doing. Uh, as the schedule you know, can change, especially around the holiday time, so you don't want to miss out on any content. Also, of course, these shows do go out onto the podcast platforms, so keep an eye on that. And of course, also YouTube is where we upload everything right after the day after that we record. So make sure that you're also following there too. Thanks for your engagement and check out the Discord if you want to join the community. And with that said, that's all from myself, Pocket Mummy, and Caboose for today. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Cheers. Dirty in the bank. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.